Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Provincial State of Mind with myself, Owen Harrison, Jeff Neville and Tom Savage. This is a podcast focused on all four Irish provincial sides in both the URC and European competitions. We discuss what happened the previous weekend, what we can expect from each province in their upcoming games, as well as any major off-field news. So, gents, what you do over the weekend? I presume not a lot, didn't watch so, any television. What you want to talk about? things quiet. <laughs> Will we just skip straight to the rugby? <laughs> Will we? I, to be honest with you, I have nothing to discuss from my week. Uh, was there anything um, happened over the weekend? I can't remember now. I'm trying to think. Connacht, Connacht were down in South Africa. They were in South Africa. They let me down again. (laughs) (laughs) When will I learn? (laughs) I was watching it. I mean, I was getting really close to that. I was like, yes, no, yes, no, maybe, no. Like, it's the hope that kills you. (laughs) It It was, um, I was doing a water babies class. Um, We'd signed up the newborn for water babies because the, you know, herself wants the baby to be a better swimmer than her father is, which isn't going to be hard. But I just assumed that water babies for newborns is just like, well, we're just going to be teaching the baby how to swim or at least getting them used to it. But no, it's far more involved than that. <laughs> so normally herself takes the 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 baby to, to water babies. Um, but I had to do it <laughs> this week. And um yeah, there's way more singing involved in this what I suit. <laughs> so you're kind of you're you're pulling the baby around. So like you have to get over, you know, she's in a wetsuit. So I'm in there with like, you know, there's four or five other women and I'm just the one guy there. And like your one is just like, okay, so we start going swish, swish, swish. And I was like, and, and, and then like she's just like, oh, we all have to say it. I'm just like Oh, okay. So I'm just like, switch, switch. And she's thinking like, oh, now we do the head dunking song. So like, now we go to dunk her head, like singing it to, to Lenny to make her feel a little bit more comfortable. And um, <laughs> um, I was certainly not comfortable. And um, she was just looking at me with this sort of weird, this is embarrassing for you. <laughs> I think you get used to it though. You just get used to like I think you get to a point like I'm there anyway oh and you definitely got there as well at some point when you started that fighting ring you get to a point where you're just like like I don't really care yeah do you I'm making a, about, do you know what I'm making, making them happy yeah making a bollocks yeah. myself I, no I have no shame yeah. It's okay. yeah 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 I'm certainly there like we went to rugby tots on Sunday and uh my I have two well he's pushing two and a half and twice not once twice he ran straight managed to put his hands in front of him in the exact place he needed to be pushed open the emergency exit door and ran across the car park. So that was fun. Um, parents looked at me like, you know, shaking their head. I was like, I'm, I'm mortified here. Like I got one stage, he ran out and I'm running after him and he, he is laughing his head off running through this car park. And I'm looking at the open door. Can it, do I close it? Do I run after him? What if a kid runs out? What if, and I'm just kind of like between two minds and I was like, oh, I'm just going to have to go. A parent looking at me like, why didn't you close the door? I was like, sorry, hands pulled here a little bit. If I would have fucking closed it if I thought of this. Sorry, I was, I don't know if you saw, I was just a bit busy. It's not like I was leaving myself, <laughs> but um, yeah, it was fun. I got a lot of sun today, which was nice. Today was unbelievable. You, you do look like you got a bit of sun. I got a, I got a touch of sun. 
But unfortunately, this afternoon I went for a haircut. So now my head looks like a chalk, like an outline of a head. Like I just have like, <laughs> do you know, it's all white lines all around my head kind of a thing. So uh, I'm going to have to go out in the sun again tomorrow and just look down for the whole thing. Trying to um, balance it out. Yeah. Just get it. Okay, get some of that moisturizer with the, with the tan in it. And just yeah. it on <laughs> oh, I'll never forget there was a lad in school and he came in. I wasn't really friends with him, but he came in one day and he was just covered in fake tan. And this is like, we're talking, what age am I now? We're talking 17, 18 years ago in a school in Limerick City. Like, and he just came in covered in fake tan. And like not, how would I say, like clearly not well done. Do you know that kind of way? Like he had just put his hand in a bucket of paint and just kind of washed his face quickly and came in. But uh, someone asked him what happened to him and he said one of the girls had given him one of the, he asked, he he wanted a wet wipe or something, like, do you know, a face wipe or something. And she'd given him one that was a, like one of the, the tanned ones. So he washed his face with them. I can't remember his name, but I remember he came in. He looked like a dirty protest. Oh, it was so funny. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's kind of what I'm dealing with now today. The weather has been unbelievable, which makes me happy. So I can't complain. I watched the Leinster game actually up in the club at the weekend with 50 other Leinster fans. Who were, who were Leinster playing? Um, I think uh, Leinster had a game. I can't remember against who. Who, but, was, who was that? Ah. Uh, was it against Connacht? No, Connacht was no. They were, they were actually in South Africa. Because yeah, I remember yeah. you you predicted they would win. Yeah. Um. Oh, I don't know. I'm sure it'll come. It'll, up it'll, it'll, it'll come up later yeah, on. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure, sure Owen has a script of some. Yeah. I'll read the script, script later on. Yeah. 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 How was your weekend, Owen? Not too bad. I spent a lot of it shouting at the television, scaring the dogs. Um, Are you watching the Connacht game as well? Were you? Yeah, yeah. I was watching the yeah. Connacht game. Yeah, well, there was yeah. there was something on the news you really didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, Russia! Get out of here, Putin. <laughs> so, yeah, cut, I did uh, did a bit in the garden, took advantage of the, the good weather on Saturday, did a bit in the garden on Saturday afternoon. It's barbecue you had lined up yeah, there, actually. That, that oh, looks, yes. It looks so good. I'm, yeah, and actually that's something I need from the listeners. I'm still, I just keep doing the same things on the barbecue. I do a nice bit of um, sweet chili chicken, vegetables, burgers, things like that. I need, I need something different. Beans. Yeah. Ideas. Oh no, no! The air fryer all over it. <laughs> yeah, we're not doing beans on the on the barbecue. Have you grilled pineapple yet? Yes, I have grilled oh. pineapple, and my daughter wants to try grilled watermelon. Oh, it's meant to be nice. Yeah, I haven't done it yet, but it's meant to be good. A bit of salt yeah. on top. Yeah, yeah. I might try that myself. Pineapple mm-hmm. change your life. I only did it, it two hours ago. Unbelievable. I had what was it I had on Saturday? I did um well I did burgers and then I did uh, some nice uh, hickory smoked uh, bacon with to go on top of them and then I did eggs on the barbecue as well and they on top of the barbecue. Just cracking straight on straight onto the game grill. changer. I must get that little mantle you have. Oh the the flat grill. Yeah, I must. Oh, get it, yeah. game changer. I'm gonna cook my breakfast. Fry ups now are gonna be done on the barbecue. Why not? Like, why not? If you can. It, it's the way forward, really is. So I'm just going to barbecue every meal. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't skip the beans. <laughs> get, get those rice krispies on there. <laughs> <laughs> Milk is so difficult to barbecue. <laughs> I'll give it a go. The, <laughs> you're just not trying hard enough. 
Right, will we get into the rugby then? Let's get into the rugby. There's apparently, I, I'm supposedly there were some good games on over the weekend, but yeah, I'll read the script as we're, do, as we're going. Yeah, as we're, <laughs> no change there then. Oh, by the way, uh, before, we, before we get into it, by the way, yeah. I see Democracy run at one out. Where huh? last week, I was not consulted, by the way, about this impromptu election that was being held on Twitter about my, oh, yes. about my face on this podcast. <laughs> who runs that well, page? Yeah, I, don't I know. Don't know. Who, like, who, I saw that. I was like, who the fuck did that? <laughs> well, I'm going to have to sack the intern over that. Well, thankfully, but, uh, thankfully. Well, your your position is not is not guaranteed anymore because there is still the very small and outside chance that Adam Redmond gives us flights and tickets to South well, Africa. If, if, if in, he does, in which case, gone. you're gone. Like, good you're luck. dead to us, Tom. See you, bye. <laughs> See you <Yeah>. later. <laughs> or if you get Bernard Jackman on, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's probably the only other one. Yeah, but I'm glad For democracy any- went out. Any of the kind of coaching staff? They're all bald. Well, they're all bald. Bar Sexton, Bar Mark Sexton. They're all bald with a beard. Maybe, maybe, maybe he left the shave. I'd say they're going to bring I, him to I said that as well. <laughs> I was like, one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> I reckon his initiation ceremony is going to be getting his head shaved. Clippers will come out. Yeah. <laughs> William the Connacht. It's in the contract. <laughs> Listen, I hate to bring this up, but you know, season's about to begin. <laughs> right, let's look at the screen. Right, when Connacht and Connacht when were playing Stormers. Connacht were playing Stormers. Yeah. Uh, Stormers won 43 25, although the scoreline is a bit skewed by the two tries in the last five minutes from the Stormers. Um, there was only six points in it with 10 minutes to go. Uh, a very good performance from Connacht. Um, they dominated possession and territory. It's seventy-one percent possession, sixty-six percent territory. Hung onto the ball, played in the right areas of the pitch. They only made, and this this is the stat that stood out for me. They only made forty-six tackles all game. That's bananas. Um, That's and bananas. The Stormers were two, quite two, impressed. Two tackles per player in the squad, <laughs> in the match day squad. That's it. Two tackles each is all they had to make all game. Like. As bananas. After the game, the Stormers and I think South African rugby TV was quite impressed and quite taken with the off-ball performance that the Stormers had. Um, I don't know. It, for a while, it felt that Connacht were well capable of of winning this game. Like, as it, like, I'm just seeing here in the script, the two tries in the last five minutes skewed, skewed the storyline. But I, I remember watching the first bit of it because I was at a communion for this, by the way. So... <laughs> I was eating sausages. Um, but I remember looking at the little bits of pieces I seen of the game and Connacht looked capable of hurting Connacht up until a lot of errors. They had a lot of errors that really hurt them. Yeah. A couple of missed kicks to touch. Those two tries where defence was just kind of disappointing. And I think once it went to 11, 12 points, like Connacht just couldn't claw it back. And even when they got close, it came back to six, wasn't it? Um, but it just, yeah, it just got away from them again at the end. But like, geez, it was a great game to be fair. And even when you consider, like for me, it was a game where Connacht will look back on and then they might rule a little bit, you know, they'd be like, geez, we should have done this or we should have been better here kind of a thing. And it's a pretty tough place to be in. But at the same time, 
like they did an awful lot right. They played a great game of rugby, like, and yeah, they came up short. But Jesus Christ, when you look at the end of their season, they left everything out there, like, and that's something that I suppose as a Munster fan and a lot of Munster fans will remember from last season, maybe like it's the opposite that hurts more. Like there's losing yeah. and there's like, there's losing without firing a shot and that's what hurts, you know? So, I mean, I mean, yeah, they lost, but Jesus, hell of an end to the season. Like I think most people can take losing as long as like you went out swinging. I think most people oh, yeah. are, are happy enough, yeah. you know, you'd be what's disappointed. The, what's, what's that phrase? If you're going to miss the bus, miss it running. Like, yeah. You, you can absolutely get over that. Like, yeah, like I, I thought the Connacht's like, you know, disappointed because I think I think they look back at the game, certainly from the bits that I've seen, and see a number of areas where they could go, fuck it, if that goes the other way, we're much, much closer going into the last 20 minutes. Maybe even to the last 10, we have a chance of nicking it. Um, But it's just kind of the way, the way the game went for them. And I suppose it's like, they've had a great season. Like this is the best season they've had since they won it in 2015, 2016. I'd say without question. And it was really up and down year, but you look at how their end of season went. Lots to be proud of. I think this is, and this may sound harsh, this is Connacht's level. And what I mean by that is it's not necessarily that this is their absolute ceiling, but when they come up against the absolute top teams, everything almost has to go their way and the, the other teams have to play below par of it. And I think for, for that, it stacks the game against Connacht. Connacht played really, really well. There are things they could have done better. As Jeff said, like there was the, t- the two that stood out for me were actually around Carty and his, his line kicking. Yeah. It was the, the one that went dead and the one that he missed touch on that should have got them into the 22 and into the red zone for an attacking position on both. But again, it just comes down to those little small things. They played really well. They dominated possession. They played in the right areas, but they still couldn't. I think they're missing the physicality to put the pressure on the Stormers at key areas and key times. Guys like Libbuck and uh, Willemsa were given just a little bit too much room at times and too much space. And once you give space to, to those guys, they're absolute ballers. They're they're going to hurt you. There was that's that's the there, tough bit. There was one score from the Stormers when they went end to end. Do you remember Libbuck kind of? He was he in, he was inside his own twenty two maybe midfield and like or like middle of the pitch like whatever in between the touchlines I don't know how to describe it but like what he do he just kind of found the gap somehow went they went down left touchline came back in absolute screamer of a try um and like I think tries like that happen like do you remember back Finn Russell nutmegged Rory Scanlon yes you kind yeah. of just stand under your you stand behind the post and you just kind of go listen fuck not much you can do about that. So I think sometimes when you're playing players like that, there's an element of at some point something is going to happen and we're going to have very little control over it, but don't let it like don't let it unhinge you kind of. Um, but I think what got it for me was there was a try offset piece and uh, oh, what's the winger's name? Is it Davids or Davis or I can't remember the right winger anyway for, for Stormers came off his wing. And was it Farrell? He bopped. He sat down and a defender anyway. Oh, and then, and, I think it was, was it? And then threw the pass pretty much immediately afterwards. And you're just kind of like, that has to be better. 
you know, like and it's easy for me to say, don't get me wrong, like I'm sitting on a couch watching him, you know, like I'm nowhere near that level. But I mean, that tackle has to be made. Do you know what I mean? Like, and there's little things like that. Um, as we mentioned, Carty's kicking. Again, there's probably no need to go into it because nobody will know better than him yeah. that, it was, that it wasn't good enough. And I think anybody who watches Connacht at all will know Carty is a fabulous footballer. Um, really good boot, you know. So, and like, and I jump in there for a second to say that, like, normally their halfbacks are a huge strength of theirs, but they weren't here, and that's going to cost you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you and you and you look at where Connacht have come, and a lot of it is true. Carty's kicking, like he's kicked the letter off the ball far more, far far more than any other player in this league, and as a result, you know they're in a semi final. It's just unfortunate for him that the off day came at that moment, you know. Um, but yeah, look, there'll be moments I, I think for Connacht where they look back at it and they'll say, "Geez, should have done that, should have done that." Maybe regretted a little bit. Um, I think there could be maybe a few guys in the squad who think, you know, Jesus, wasn't it great? We got to a semi final, and it absolutely was. But ultimately, yeah, I think that game for a while was there for the taking and. It just slipped up a little bit, but yeah, what do you determine success really as a team? I mean, if you're Connacht and you get to the semi-final of URC, secure Europe for next year, etc. Like that's probably a successful season, isn't it? I don't think anybody in Connacht is going to be just like going to be got up at the season. I think they were ended like finished so strongly. They're back in the Champions Cup, had a great run in the playoffs. What more do you want, really? Bar winning I think it. the only thing. I think the only thing that might be a bit disappointing to Connacht this year is how they went out of the Challenge Cup. That's probably the one thing. That's probably the one thing, yeah. And I mean, beyond that, you look at it, you look at where Andy Friend has has brought the club. I think he's, <clears throat> you know, this is his final season in charge. He's left it in a very good place. I think they've got a lot of young talent coming through, both Connacht, born and bred, as well as uh, players that they've brought in. I think the future looks genuinely bright for them. I think if they can continue to play the brand or and maybe improve on what they're doing, they have a chance. I do think they, they need more in terms of a bit more physicality and a bit of beef up front. Stop stop buying all these speedy outside backs. Um, speedy outside backs are fun. <laughs> <laughs> I think just... Swap a couple of speedy outside backs for a big couple of big birdie type five forwards might might do a little bit better. But Andy Friend has certainly left the club in a in a much better state than when when he when he joined. Uh, I think that's that's the most important thing. I think there there's a lot of hope for what they can do next season. I think next season will be very different for them because this season has been about how they can manage the URC. The Challenge Cup allowed them to rotate the squad and allow them to focus on the URC to get into the top eight. Next season is very different when, once you're in the Champions Cup because it doesn't, unless unless they're going to try and rotate players within that and sort of throw it away, but I don't see them doing that. So I think they've got, once you're fighting on, on two fronts, I think it, it becomes a lot harder and it'll be a, a bigger challenge for Pete Wilkins and, and the new coaching team to, to work out. I tell you, one guy who really impressed me for Connacht this season as a whole, probably, again, against Stormers as well, don't get me wrong, Connor Oliver had a fantastic season. He did. Like if you're he if did. you're talking about, let's say, I know Josh Van der Fleer is number one. Like Hadn't it's there for me. There's talk of Penny. Um 
you know, uh, sorry, Nick Timoney. I just had a brain fart there. Nick Timoney, Connor Oliver. Like, if you're talking about four sevens below, um, and I know Will Connors is there as well in the conversation. Don't get me wrong, but just you know, once he gets a good run, he's absolutely in that conversation too. Like, but um, if you're looking at sevens below Josh Van der Fleer, and you're ultimately ignoring Connor Oliver, I think you need to kind of have another little look. Like he's he's played 22 games for Connacht this season, right? Out of 25. He's only missed three. Round two of the URC in the first two rounds of the Challenge Cup. He has been absolutely ever-present. He's been unbelievable for Connacht this season. And to be honest, like I know he's been with Connacht for the past couple of seasons, even when he was at Munster. He, I know he wasn't getting an awful lot of game time there, but when he was, I don't remember Connor Oliver ever having a bad game. He plays with a lot of like he. I know, like it sounds like a very vague thing to say, but he plays with real spirit. You know, like where he's dug into everything. Like he gets stuck into every breakdown, carries well, defends well. Like just a guy who's really, I'd say, he's, like he's maxing out what he what he's got, and playing really, really well. Looked great for Connacht all season. I think the the only thing that, or sorry, one of the main things that counted against him was that the style monster were playing and the fact that they were. I think they were looking for bigger bigger bodies, bigger carriers within the back row at the time. I don't think it was necessarily anything to do with Oliver himself or his ability to play. He had some badly timed injuries too. Yeah, yeah. he did. He did. did. But he was... I think his style suits Connacht perfectly. He's been fabulous for Connacht and a really balanced back row in there as well. He's part of it. Like it's... Like, I mean, even seeing, you know, I know Butler got injured which moved Prendergast to eight there a couple of games back. Like, but just seeing Prendergast stay at eight and seeing Hurley Langton and Oliver, it's just a really balanced back row uh, between the three of them. Like, so I think he's been phenomenal for Connacht this season. I think Hurley Langton, he's another one of these, I'll, I'll call it the money ball signings from, from Connacht, where they go and look at the sort of, what you call the lower tier sort of leagues and things like that, and they pick up the the odd good player. I think if they can get another season, pre-season into, or get a proper pre-season into Hurley Langton and get him up, he's looked very good towards the end of this season. The I thought the Ulster game in particular, and again, for against Ormus, he was good, but the Ulster game in particular, he was outstanding. I think if they can get a pre-season into him and get him fully going again next season, he could be a huge, huge player for them. And somehow yeah. remains not Irish qualified. Seamus <laughs> Hurley Langton, like, It'll be interesting to see if they have Oliver, Hurley Langton, Prendergast, Butler, etc. Do they keep Prendergast today next year? Or I think it doesn't matter. Where? Yeah, but it'll be you interesting. Know. Like, it'll just be interesting, I think, to see the progression because, I mean, Prendergast played, what, maybe, f- I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to say four games of the eight, maybe, this season for Connacht. Um, I see Owen there about to Google, so I'm going to stick with four. Um, But... I just think it'll be interesting to see because I mean, like Butler's played an awful lot at that eight. Like you know, he is an eight, so it's it's going to be interesting to see kind of what happens next year as well. Is Butler an eight? He's played an awful lot at eight, even if he's not. But it'll be interesting just to see. I think next year how they kind of line up. I think they'll just take what Prendergast does, like his line out, defensive yeah. coverage, all that other stuff, and then Carly Langton is such a good ball carrier as well, without necessarily being a you know typical number Massive. eight, you yeah. know, ball carrier like. He's such a good ball carrier. It kind of makes the whole thing work. Like it makes, because Oliver is a good carrier. Prendergast is a good carrier. So is Hurley Langton. None of them are massive, I would say, big primary ball carriers who load up for, you know, 15, 20 plus carries. But yeah. they don't have to be with the way Connacht play. That's so true, yeah. it's the way, the way they balance it out is actually really, 
it's really interesting because it's like it's I would call that a, a double small forward build in their back row, which it's tough to make work. But like with the guys they have there, the second row that they have as well, it works. And it, like when they're on, they're a very very difficult team to beat. Yeah. How many times on? Four times. You were spot on. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Neville with the fucking dagger. Look at that. <laughs> Must have been the only four games I watched this season. No, I'm joking. Um, I watch rugby. Twice against Ulster, actually. He played eight. That's funny. Uh, the only two games that Oliver was on the bench was against Leinster. I don't know why that's funny. I said funny. It came out of my mouth before I, you know, the fact. I know the fact is not funny. I just felt it was interesting. Clearly wasn't. Not funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just move on. Um, forget that happened. I'll just bleep that out later. I'm editing this week, so that's not going to happen. We don't. Edit. We don't. Edit. <laughs> I forgot Come Tom's editing. Forgot Tom's editing. Just stick it on loop. <laughs> the other game. The intro music next week. <laughs> the other game. Was there another game, Tom? The other game. I'm just looking at the script here. Hang on. Hang on. Who who was it again? Hang on. Other script. I'm just wait. Let, let me just get down to here. I'm sure there Munster were some... playing. Le- Munster were playing Leinster. I'm sure there would have been some sort of this past weekend main main event. Munster. Good God! Tell I me, the fucking, missed, tell me the fucking score of that game. I must have missed that. Tell me what happened. Right, so, just in case anyone did miss it, it ended up Leinster fifteen, Munster sixteen. So under wait, Jeff's whoa, whoa, rules, wait a minute. Under Jeff's rules about scoring more points than the opposition. Monster win. Wow. That's not even my rules. I think it's more. Um, I just think it's an unknown fact more than anything. It's just it's 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 kind of analysis you've pioneered. I think in the yeah. game that actually made the game really easy to understand for a lot of people. Yeah, I I think a lot of a lot of coaches aren't happy with me. I was getting messages there all week, like a very a nasty one from um, Eddie Jones actually. That was pretty nasty. Yeah, he, he was very unimpressed because yeah. he he is obviously taking over in Australia now, right? And what a lot of people don't know is he was planning on bringing in that tactic. Yeah. Um, but apparently the players had heard it before he got a chance to actually say it to them. And he's just, oh, he is belligerent. Scott Roberts said he was going to break dance on your head. Yeah, he another fella. Yeah, he's very unhappy. I was on the phone from the last day. I was just like, listen, Scott, man, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't think it'd get out. You know, I, Scott, I didn't think it. Scott, stop, stop beatboxing. This is serious. I didn't, think, I didn't think it would take off the way it did, you know. I didn't think the interest was there, but alas. Doesn't work differently in the Southern Hemisphere then. There's no, no, and you <laughs> think it would because things are backwards, but <laughs> yeah. no, 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 no. It's turned out so, in both hemispheres. That's good to know. What was your immediate reaction following what occurred in the 78 minutes of this game playing out I to the let, I let a roar out of me when the drop goal went over and I had the two dogs sitting next to me on the couch and the two of them leapt off the couch and ran out the door as fast as they could because I had frightened the shit out of them I think my reaction went from elation when he kicked it and it went over to um, emotional constipation until the final whistle went. Literally, just sitting there, kind of going, like you know, like your whole body's tense, and you're like, just get it out, just get it out, and you can't enjoy it. <laughs> you're like, 
you'd wish you could just wish that whatever two minutes of your life away. But yeah, listen, I mean, to be honest with you, as a game, um, and we've seen a lot written, we've seen a lot tweeted, etc. As a fan of a team who lost this match, same with G2, like, I don't know how many times over the last number of years, it was so good to see Munster win. But as a match, even if I was a neutral watching that, for me personally, team selection doesn't come into it. Um, refereeing decisions don't come into it. And I'll, I'll happily talk about it in a minute. Like, But it was just such a good contest. Like there was a moment in the second half. So that first 20, 25 minutes of the second half, first off, was bananas. Like just the rugby that was being played. But there was a moment in the second half, and I actually I'll find it, and I'll um, I'll have a, I'll try and have a watch back and find it and clip it. There's a, a, it was a monster player anyway who who took a pass, and contact was the only option. But like there was a bit of time if you get me, and he just kind of kind of went, <sighs> and then just carried it in as if to say like Fuck, I have to go again, okay, <laughs> and then just kind of carried it. You know, like it was that kind of lung busting game, but just a fabulous contest. And I mean. If you want to pour back over it with a fine two come and find things that should have been given that weren't or vice versa, like do that. Like, but in my eyes, it spoils what was a good game. Um, you could talk about Leinster's selection, like Monster were missing players too. You can talk about, you know, decisions, refereeing decisions. Like ultimately, sometimes when your team plays, decisions go for you and decisions go against you. That's the game. And you can spend, you know, you can spend your time kind of going, fuck, that was a penalty. That wasn't a penalty. And being outraged for ages. Or you can just accept it. And in the next game, watch when it happens, you and go, oh, look, swings and roundabouts. Like, it's the game. Like, it's, um, and that's, you know, that goes both ways. Like, I mean, we've seen Munster lose this fixture far too many times. And there might be decisions going against it. But ultimately, like, you look at the referee, he didn't miss a conversion that, do you know, that was an important conversion like that would have made it a four point game. He didn't, like he wasn't monster opting to kick for a touch instead of kicking points. Like he didn't miss tackles, etc. Like I'd say the only reason he's coming into question here is because it was a one point game. And if it wasn't, there would be something else, you know, in, in the media, there'd be something else talked about. But like, I just think it spoils a contest that, should be noteworthy because it was a proper, like two twenty threes were selected. They went out. They played an unbelievable game. One scored more points than the other, and that's it. Like it was, that to me is the game. Like I was watching this game here at home, and um, the baby was asleep, so I I couldn't shout during the game. I was warned not to. <laughs> and um, when Crowley landed that drop goal. I'm just jumping around the front room, jumping up and down, like heart rate, sounding like a fucking scooter song. <laughs> like I was like, like just, I don't know, euphoric, I think is the word. <laughs> and then just like you said, there, just like perched in midair for the next two minutes. Just because again, I'm so used to this game going where, oh, Leinster get a penalty they kick it into the corner, they maul it, they score the try, game over. 
you know, turning the birthday cake, it's all over. But then that didn't happen. And the relief and the relief, I think, is a big thing, you know, and the euphoria and the fucking joy, everything. Just like I was in a heap after the game. I had to do a live stream. I had to compose myself for nearly an hour before I could do it. Just the emotion that was there on the day. Like there's fellas who were talking to me, they were in the stadium, bawling their eyes out. Like just because it means so much to so many people. And like, you know, I think sometimes I think it means a lot to Leinster fans too, obviously. So sometimes the whole referee chat can be a way to soften the blow for yourself. Like, you know, so we didn't lose, we were cheated kind of stuff. You see some of that stuff, you know, we've all seen it. But like the actual game itself is a great advert for rugby in this country, I think. And, you know, I think that's a lot of the, the stuff about the referee and about fucking shot clocks and all this other stuff afterwards. This is low character stuff. It's like, it's, a, it's, that's not the takeaway from the game for me that anybody should be talking about. Like, if that's what your takeaway is, I would suggest just put the phone down and go for a walk. Like, cause again, there's so much better things to talk about. Like, just the quality of the rugby, how Munster adapted to what we had seen from Leinster last season, but also this season, and how that translated to what Munster have been building over the entire season from day one of preseason, for me, led to what we saw in this game. Munster's tactical approach to not give Leinster lineouts at all. Like Leinster had four lineouts in the entire in the entire game. And I think only one that Munster gave them. That's a really interesting approach for Munster to take in this game. It's so different from the previous. So I'm just looking at the 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 way this the feelings that are there for it. And it's just um feels really good because how many times have we been on this podcast talking after Munster have lost and talking about well, Munster were poor, Leinster were great, efficient, Munster just didn't show up, didn't didn't land a shot. That was the exact opposite this time. And that's Again, like sometimes you do have one good day and that's what this was. It's funny the I way you mentioned just, the... Oh, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, just, just about the ref, like I th- when I saw Frank appoint, Frank Murphy appointed for this, I thought he can generally be very fussy ref. He can he can hand out a lot of... Uh, or he can give a lot of penalties and he can those can add up to cards. And I, I thought that could be worrying for Munster. I think, first of all, Munster avoided the whole yellow car thing. And we'll talk about it more when we're, when we're talking about Leinster, about how efficient they are in that when when the opposition get a yellow card. But for Munster and for Leinster, I think the speed of the game changed how Frank Murphy referees it. He didn't, he didn't become fussy at the breakdown. And it wasn't that he was letting one side away with, with something. I think the ball and the game was genuinely so quick out of it that he was happy that the game was flowing and didn't need to penalize teams for slowing it down, etc. In it. And I think Munster adapted to that better than Leinster did. I think Leinster became a little bit passive in defense around it and never adapted to it properly. I think as Tom said, Munster have changed their approach completely this season, particularly. I think 12 months ago, this Munster team, there's no way they would have been in even within 15 points of that Leinster team yeah, um, on Saturday to, to win that. And I think, to me, it goes back to what you look at from the um, the last time Munster were in the 
what was the Pro 12 final at the time, the season of the Rainbow Cup. Munster had a pretty much a full side out. They went to the RDS and they tried that kicking game and it just came nowhere close to it. And I think you look at the difference in style that Munster have gone. They've gone from being a complete off-ball team to a complete on-ball team. They dominated possession. They dominated territory. They kept the ball in play. They took Leinster's strike moves away from them. It was like, again, things like line-out plays, scrum moves. Leinster had had so little of those to work from and get a platform. And even in terms of um, penalties, their discipline was brilliant. I think it was... I think it was only three penalties in open play that they conceded. Yep. Now I know some of that comes down to the sort of the how the referee judges things, but even to keep it down that low, to stop giving Leinster the platform and the access to Munster territory, you know that that helps massively. You look at the players as well. I think one of the big things there's lots of credit going out to the likes of Leamy and Prendergast and Roundtree, strength and conditioning team massive massive sort of improvement to see how the players have gone I think and changed what was it you look at uh, how many minutes in play was it 44 44 44 odd yeah 44 odd and it was 44 odd against Glasgow last week as well exactly and they're playing these consistently in terms of these high tempo games and going at it and still going I thought there was a dip probably just around about the Sharks game where they were potentially suffering for the changes that they made to this um, and having to do that work in season rather than pre-season. But they seem to have adapted whatever it was there to get it back again and get that strength and uh, conditioning to where it needs to be. They've been away, what is it, four weeks in a row now? This will be, 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 be the fifth. This will be the fifth. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I mean, being away from home, whatever else, they're doing things the hard way. I I I still look at Munster season as being pre and post Parky Queef. That's the big sort of line in the mm-hmm. sand for me. If you're um, talking about Munster's S and C, right? I think it has to be applauded the way they've managed Stephen Archer's year this year, because <laughs> it. Like, so I was looking at it last night, right? And it's a little fact. I I, I stuck it up on prop the question there last night, but I'm gonna. I'm going to release it here. Stephen Archer played 14 games from Munster this season, right? He started six. Four of them have been in the last four games. Up to April 1st, he had only started two games from Munster, right? And if you look at the last four games he's played, in the last four games, he has played 13 more minutes than he did in the previous eight combined. So, I mean, Munster have taken Stephen Archer and just said, you're very important. <laughs> just managed him fantastically. And to be honest, I um like, do you remember when John Ryan tipped on and Monster, like, you know, you, know, you could still say Monster still need a front row signing, et cetera, don't get me wrong. But like, kind of when John Ryan tipped on, et cetera, people and Archer signed on for another season, maybe there was a lot of talk again on the socials, et cetera. Do you know, oh, you know, we need a tight head or blah, 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 or like, why couldn't we keep Ryan, etc. In the last four weeks, Stephen Archer has gone to kind of cult hero status, like going the full 80 twice, or not the four, last four weeks, last four games, I should say, you know, going the full 80 twice down in South Africa, 
uh, that Glasgow game, like if do you remember when Murray w- was up the touchdown and he got that tackle? If you look at that from a different angle, it's actually Stephen Archer keeping up with him to to support that play as well. Like he was very good there against Enster the last day. He'll probably start the final. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Like if if um you know if if logic stands. So I mean, just really happy for him. He hasn't gotten lower than a four star performance from me since he's since the South African tour started. But like, like he's, why, become, he? he's been coming up against incredibly difficult opponents each week. Yeah. And he's been performing in the scrum, but he's been performing all over the field, like his handling, his carrying, his breakdown work, just again. He's been playing outstandingly well. There's there's a couple of guys, and I'm saying like I would have written them off as well. I would have thought Stephen Archer was closer to retirement than producing performances like this. Mm-hmm. Um certainly at the start of the season. Um I think there's and guys like Stephen Archer and they deserve all the plaudits they get and probably apologies from, from myself and others who have written them off. I think Archer would be one. I'm not sure I saw that performance from Rory Scanlon either coming off the bench, which was absolutely outstanding. Fabulous performance. I did an I did an article a couple of, uh, last year I think on Rory Scanlon that since he seems to have trimmed down, he had put on a, a you know a few extra kg because I think. Um, not Johan, but Rezzi wanted a kind of a bigger presence at 12. And I think the increase in weight made him less mobile. It kind of took away a lot of his qualities as a player. Like he's not played a whole ton of rugby this year, but he's only handling six games, like his handling, the quality of his involvements here off the bench were just astoundingly good. Like just the, like the, 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 in the build up to the entry that Monster eventually scored from. The handling between himself and Shane Daly in the on that uh, transition, outstanding. Like if you said that you'd signed a fella in and he's producing that kind of stuff, you'd just be like, "That's a good bit of business." Like, it's just it's amazing the turnaround that's happened this season where fellas are so confident handling the ball and so confident with the, the structures. Like we'll probably speak about it in a minute, but the build up to that drop goal was one of the bravest zero fear bit of rugby I've seen all season long anywhere when you consider the stakes that were involved lads backing well, themselves it's just it's, it's great to see the last sort of five minutes it's something that I've gone back and watched quite a bit you look at it Leinster had possession they were two points up they had possession um, in the Munster 22 twice in the last five minutes and we're going for the kill and you look, as you said there, Tom, you look at where Munster, they got the knock on from Clarkson's. Well, first of all, you had the Gavin Coombs steal. Yeah. Right. And Munster booted the ball up. Leinster came back and had another play inside the Munster 22. And then you have from that knock on, Munster ran it from their own line. You had Daly, Earls to Daly to Hodnett, who holds it up, gives it to Scannell. They have a bit of interplay and suddenly it's back up. And then you have, um, Close to my moment of the match where you have um, Jack Crowley who absolutely takes the ball. <laughs> Harry Byrne. Like Harry what Byrne, a moment that yeah. was. You know, That like, was massive in terms of everything that, that was going on there. I'm not sure how a lot of... You look at even the, the kick chase from, from the Munster players through there. There was guys... And the other guy who I thought was outstanding off the bench for Munster was um, Alex Kendall. He had some huge carries and some absolutely... 
lethal clearouts. Looked like in the a min, looked like a mini CJ Sander, but the thing is, he's actually taller than CJ Sander, weirdly enough. But like I said, he was brutish. His ball carrying, his breakdown work. He's been working specifically with Dennis Leamy on that all season, and you can tell because he is taking no fucking prisoners there. That's for sure. But none of the team are like Josh Richley, for example, on the build up to the drop goal. I've had people in my mentions, Leinster fans, talking about that was a dangerous entry to a ruck there. It's like, my man, do you watch the team you support? Like, this is the sort of breakdown work that Leinster, like, this is what they do. This is why they're so good. Like, it's that efficiency at the breakdown. You roll the dice, you be physical, you enter hard. And if you go off your feet, so fucking be it. You give up a penalty, that's the risk you take. If the referee is allowing a free flow and game at the breakdown, as um, Frank Murphy was, there was no offensive breakdown penalties in this game, as far as I'm aware. You go to the fucking limit. And like Munster over the last couple of seasons, we have not gone to the limit. Was Jack Conan, um, he gave away a breakdown penalty, didn't he? Jacqueline, he had hands on the deck. A defensive breakdown penalty. Oh, excuse me, yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, was, there was no offensive breakdown penalties in this game, as far as I can remember on my on my watchbacks. So, like, there was nothing for off feet. Both sides were at it. Um, for coming in at, you know, angles, both sides were at it. Um, that, like, Munster adapted. Like, how many times have we been on this podcast speaking about how Munster didn't really adapt to the referee, the picture that was there? Yeah. Munster did here. And like played with real aggression and venom at the breakdown. But if you're going to be a high possession team, which Munster have been trying to do all season long, you need to, you need that at the breakdown. And it happened here and Munster were so much better. Like ridiculously probably, so. Probably talked enough about Munster there, I suppose, and not enough about Leinster, but a couple of things about Leinster that I thought was unbelievable. First off, I know he may as well have played the full 80 minutes but Josh van der Fleer for me even just watching the game out of all 30 on the pitch was just a level above like ridiculously good like like I know he's world player of the year like Mm -hmm. he's the best player in the world that I get that like but watching that game it was like there was just one guy who was just above that and he was just phenomenal he had 27 tackles but probably the moment for me was Munster had a caterpillar rook, I think in around their own 22, it could have been in their 22. And he just, he blitzed it, just went right through the middle, absolutely blitzed it. And I think Leinster got a scrum off it maybe, or am I, am I right? That was late, the yeah. second half, I remember that, yeah. yeah. And just on his own, just absolutely blitzed. And it's, a caterpillar rook is hard to stop. That's why it's there. And he was phenomenal. Um, just around the pitch, Max Deegan was class. And I think without Max Deegan, Leinster probably lost that by a couple of points more. He was unbelievable. A couple of big stops, um, goal line defensively, um, some big, big mall D as well. He was very, very good. Um, just put himself about so well. I felt Jack Conan was good. Um, people might say he had a quiet game, etc. But like I, I did think he was very good. Like he had a couple of clean breaks, lots of good carries. Like I just felt he was good too, but yeah, Leinster's goal line D, like you can look back again. This is one of those moments you can look back and you could say maybe there should have been a, a yellow card, maybe or a couple of penalties that weren't given. They weren't. So what? That's the game. You move on. But their goal line defense was unbelievable. Maldi was very very good. 
Josh van der Fleer was just, Jesus, he's a freak. Like, he actually is a freak. Um, he covers so much space as well, like space you think you have to work yeah. with. Defense, like his, defensively, like this was a, like defensively from Leinster, this was the, the big performance from them. Like, because what Munster did really well was, I think, take away, like Leinster are a very efficient team, possession-wise. Like, if you look at Leinster playing incredibly well, when they beat teams and destroy teams, their use of possession is very, very efficient. They don't, there's not a whole lot of wasted motion with Leinster. But what Munster did in this game, I think, was make their possession expensive so that every mistake cost them because Munster were able to hang on to the ball so well. They denied Leinster counter-transition play by not kicking back unless there was an obvious space to kick to. And I think that, like, Leinster's defensive work had to be of that standard. Like, otherwise this game could have been, like, a blowout. Like, I think Munster were much better in the game than the one-point win suggests. But the defensive excellence of Leinster is just, again, it's, it's like, it's one of their best qualities. And, like, it genuinely, like, you look at the way, like, some of the, some of the, the work from Robbie Henshaw, some of the work from Van der Fleer, as you mentioned, just again outstanding and it just goes to what a high level game it was with that level of defence one guy actually I forgot to mention Ryan Baird he yeah. is he was so good and I know a freak, Owen, this guy. Owen probably hates that he's been brought up now because I know Owen doesn't Owen doesn't like him but um, don't tell anyone Owen doesn't like him but uh, he, he is just an athletic freak like the, there was one restart just chased hard up he went, one hand slap back. Um, he was unlucky for that disallowed try that it was knocked on. No, it was knocked on. It is what it is like. But like just the pace to get there. And I was watching this up in the rugby club. And um, when he ran that in, you know, everyone was like, Jesus, he is shit quick. And I turned to one of our second rows and I was like, his Bronco time is 4.40 something. I think it's like 4.48 or something. So I just kind of turned to her and I was like, his Bronco time was 4.48 and she was like, that's brilliant for him. And I was like, all right, fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, he I don't know who she is, but I like, I like that second row. Like, yeah. Why isn't yours 4.48? Yeah. What's going on there? It's the most natural thing in the world. <laughs> Just go run a 4.48 Bronco. Simple. Um, but he, I felt he was very good as well. Um, yeah, I felt he had a great game. So. You, you kind of said as well there, but like a South African would. I've been, here's a funny story for you. And it's one you don't actually know. <laughs> I went on a blind date with a South African man yesterday. Very good. That was set up by. The wife, the wife didn't get upset with that. That was set up by my mother-in-law. So there you go. She was Damn. down. She was in Aldi, which we'll forgive because we know we're a little podcast, but mm. she was in Aldi and uh, there was this young lad serving her and uh, she just goes, uh, Oh, where's the accent from? He goes, South Africa. She goes, oh, did you play rugby? He goes, oh, I did, but not since moving here. She goes, oh, my son-in-law is involved, blah, blah, blah. Um, and she told me about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, do you know, I'm, I'm, I'll drop in, whatever. The next day, she sends me a text. And she goes, this is his name. This is his number. He has yours, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, okay, then. All so right, here we yesterday go. Yesterday, I went for coffee with them. Um, I went on a blind date with uh, so maybe Riz. that's where, well, that's where his, I, his name is Peter Steph the Toy. Shh. 
I'm I'm part of the the ten fourteen club, and I'm fina- financing Peter Steph to talk to Monster. That's Jeff not how is it. acting as agent for this. I'm a sleeper agent. It's not how I wanted to be outed, but uh, yeah, me and Peter were pretty tight, so maybe that's where I picked up that bit of uh, the accent. Maybe uh, unconsciously, do you know when someone unconsciously copies the other person? Yeah, someone's uh, got someone goes someone goes to London to college for three months and comes back just like, all oh, right, mate, yeah, nice, oh, one, mate, yeah, bro, yeah, bro, yeah, bro, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, mate, I'm just going to college in London, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe that's what I was doing. <laughs> Mo- big, most important question: Did he bring any of the pastries from Little with him? <laughs> he's an Aldi man. Oh, he's yeah. an Aldi man. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. A, a degenerate then. Listen, he, he was a very well, nice young man, so I'm okay with it. I'll forgive it this time. Um, but I expect him to get the P45 and to transfer across, to be honest, because we are a little, you know, we're a little, it's, it's, we're it's, a, little a, a little podcast here. Ask him, yeah. do you, does do, he do, seem do, like the sort of guy that would sort of pay with his revolution and you could give him sort of? Oh, money. he does. He does. Yeah. He does. Yeah. It's like, he does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do do you serve fresh Bavarian bretzels in here? It's like, I forgot, you about, don't? The revol- I forgot about the Revolute story. <laughs> that this year? I don't know. Fucking hell. Time's moving very weird. But um, about the, the the game there defensively, oh yeah, rugby, yeah, like rugby. Um, I thought Munster's defense was very very smart with how that was a real um, Munster's defense was also fabulous. Munster's defense. Sorry, we've spoken enough about Leinster now. <laughs> that was a real like was, well, I felt. <laughs> um, the defensive side from uh, Munster's side of the ball. Um, the way they shut down Leinster's uh three plus one screen. Was very very good. Gavin Coombs and John Clane had an almighty game defensively, shutting down Harry Byrne and shutting down the tip on and screen pass from that Leinster pod. We've all seen. God only knows how many times Leinster run that screen. You know the pass to the middle of the pod, pull back, tip on to you know the other forward running in. Gibson Park scuttles around the outside. You know Troy Monster did a real good job of again making a very difficult and expensive for Leinster to play and uh, put real pressure on Harry Byrne as a result um, but an enthralling game watching back like you just there's so much good shit in this game outside of the, the win which obviously from, is brilliant from both, from both sides oh from though. both sides like yeah. just the, the, the quality of Leinster's defence I think is something people should really go and watch the game back and just look at some of the stops look at some of the coverage that's there as well just very very like, good you could go back and watch that game right if, if you're in neutral and if you didn't know the score, you could stick that game on for them and at 77 minutes, just hit stop. And they'd say, oh, who wins at the end? And you'd say, does it really matter? Like, like it was just a phenomenal game. And I say that as someone whose team won in the end. Yeah, there's probably Leinster fans listening saying, yeah, well, it does matter or you're only saying that because you won, etc. I'm, I'm genuinely not because, I mean, we were talking, or was it off air maybe? But like you look at that Leinster game we lost last regular game of the URC season last year. It was horrific. It was a horrific loss. Didn't fire a shot. If Munster did lose this game and you stopped it at 77 minutes and you said, I actually don't know if they hit that or if they won whatever at the end, you could still look back at the previous 77 minutes or whatever and be like, what a game what a performance like this is where we need to be like both sides this is where you know they need to be um it was ah jeez i don't know it was just an unbelievable game like watching it back there on monday again 
so much good stuff from both sides, like so much. And if if you just go back and watch it, try and ignore the, that narrative about the referee or try and ignore all this kind of rubbish around selection, etc. Like just watch it. Like it was just a brilliant game and it was fitting of a semi-final. One thing I loved in the end game was how early Jack Crowley was prepping for the drop goal. Yeah. Not one, there wasn't one second where he was thinking of sharking that. Or we'll try and, we'll try and, you know, cheese a penalty here. He wanted that moment. I liked and what they, he said in, 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 in the presser afterwards, like when he was being interviewed afterwards and he was like, whatever. He was like, not whatever. He wasn't that blasé, but he was like, well, I trained for that. That's the job. Like, like. Yeah, it's part of the job. I trained for it. You know, he, 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 he talks about how it's all about the other guys and everything they did for the 70 odd minutes to get them in that position. But when he's talking about the drop goal, it's not like, a, oh, it was unbelievable or blah, blah, blah. Like, you think about it like if you're Jack Crowley and you know you're growing up you want to play with Munster you're thinking of these moments you've seen Raj do it etc it's it's not a small thing it's no mean feat like but after he drops it he just says it's part of the job it's what you train for and you're just kind of like, that, like I know I would not I would not be that cool no just I would like... be I'd be in the pub for the next 10 years buy me a pint there and I'll tell you about the time <laughs> I dropped a goal against Leinster I'd never let people forget it. But he's just like part of the job. I think the small details around the drop goal are, are were interesting to me to watch back. If you look just before uh, Crowley or the ball goes back to Crowley, Tendlin takes one extra phase with it and drives through. But if you look, he goes to the right hand side of the rook, and it's you can see if you watch it again, you'll see Van der Fleer is shouting at Conan to watch Crowley for the drop goal. And as he goes up, Kendallin spots it and actually drives and gets another four or five yards on it and pushes the Leinster line, defensive line back enough that creates the gap for Casey to get it back to Crowley in time for it. I think, the story, you know... The story you've described there reminds me of Martin Johnson taking that extra carry in 2003. The exact same thing happened. They were set up for a drop but it was the wrong nine. I think Neil back was at nine and popped it to Johnson. Johnson carried to free up Dawson to hit that pass. Just very thinking clearly under pressure. That's it. And then the other one, as I said, I thought Kenlin was excellent, was Mon- the restart, which um, Munster got the scrum off. You watch Kenlin at the back of that scrum. He knew Munster were going to be under pressure. He is practically reaching into the hooker's foot. <laughs> Just hand me that ball, don't even drop it. <laughs> yeah. He is literally reaching up by the second row's face. He's not pushing, he's not doing anything. He is just trying to get that ball out of there as quickly as he can. I can only think he must have got so much practice of that with the Ireland under 20s that year because their scrum went backwards at a rate of knots when Kendallin was playing in the back row on that year. And he picks the ball and runs through. And as he's running, the Leinster scrum is absolutely mashing Munster back about five or ten yards. And it makes it look even more impressive in terms of his pick and drive. I thought it was brilliant. Leinster, as we've talked about, have been they were they played really well. As you said, Deegan, um, his 
his defense um, on the goal line for the Malls. Van der Fleer was excellent. Um, Ryan Baird as well, as much as that pains me to say. Yeah, I was um, thinking. <laughs> it does. It does pain me to say that. I th- I think there's a there's a real difference for Leinster in the front row, and as much as Kelleher coming back made a difference when they don't have particularly Porter. Um, and then maybe it's probably in terms of ranking in terms of importance, it's probably Porter, Sheen, and then Furlong. And they're they're the three most important players I think Leinster have. They make the difference within that front row. They their ability around the pitch and things like that. I think if if Porter and Sheen were playing on Saturday, I think it's a different game, completely different game. For, for Leinster and I think that's one of the things that brings it into the sort of the the Champions Cup preview because losing this game and this is the second and here's here's another stat of the week Leinster have never been in a URC final right it puts so much pressure on Leinster because within this Cullen has and I think probably rightly he has chosen and prioritised the Champions Cup. And that's that's very much an Irish thing. The whole sort of the Champions Cup is the most important thing. I would say within probably England and France, you look at it and they would say their domestic league is more important. But within, within Ireland, we look at it and we say that the Champions Cup is the most important tournament. And he has prioritised that. But if for a second year in a row, it comes out that if they don't win... They're trophyless for two years. Everything they have done for this entire season, and they have made this an absolute cakewalk for the entire regular season. They have beaten teams out the gate. They have had teams sent over that were espoirs. They have had teams that were that have literally given given them the points and five points before the, the before the game has even kicked there, off. There are there are teams in both the URC and in Europe who look at Leinster away or at home and go, we are going to skip that week. That yeah. they are not booking points for that week. Like there's some games you target, some games you don't. Leinster are rarely a game that teams target if they can avoid it at all. But that then comes down to Cullen and he has prioritized the Champions Cup. This is the second year in a row that he's that they've gone out at the semi-final in the URC. They lost the Champions Cup last year. And I suppose the question goes, does winning or not winning impact Cullen and Lancaster's legacy in terms of what they've what they've achieved so far as a, as a sort of as a a partnership or unit at Leinster? Do you think if if they if they win it, does that justify everything? I mean, is two is two Champions Cups in the last decade, is that a justified return? Or what happens if they lose it? But does that? I I don't think you can look at, let's say, if they win this year's Champions Cup, that's just about this season, though. Like you can't look at. How do you say you can't look at two Champions Cups over the last number of years, and be like, does that justify everything? Because there's different. There's different caveats. It's different situations. Do you know what I mean? It's things you there's things you can't do anything about. Now, like if they win the Champions Cup next week or this weekend, does that cover over the fact that they lost the semi-final? In my eyes, yeah. Like I'd absolutely 
take a European Cup over a URC. I think you'd be mad not to. And people are talking about, you know, team selection, like why didn't they just go balls out for the last three weeks? You know, it's three weeks in a row. <laughs> like we we were talking last week. Of course you prioritize it. Like, like you have to. Like Yeah, sure. We were saying I was saying that I'd be shocked if Porter played in this game at all. But like we, we were going through and we were like, you know, would you start him? Would you start start him, etc. At no point we were like, you have to prioritize both because Jesus, I mean, it's at a certain, it's at a certain point. Cup. At a certain point, you do have to make a choice. But I like, do. I think at the same time, though, for Leinster to go two seasons trophyless, and if they were to lose on, on Saturday, I think when you're looking at legacy overall, it can't not reflect. I won't say badly, but it is a sour note at the end of it. Where to not, especially with all how well Leinster have gone over the last number of years, where they've been the favorite for Europe every single year. To not win it with this generation of players, as well as they've been playing every season, I think that would leave a sour note on the tenure that they've had, just because of how good Leinster have been in every game, bar the final, bar the last like, one, bar the last one. And I think that that will, and if that if that is to be the case, I think it will have a knock on effect. I think it will. There there will be questions to answer. And I suppose that's why this game coming up at the weekend is one of the most high-pressure games I think any Irish province has been in. When you consider it's a European Cup final, the pressure is massive anyway. But when you look at this, like for Leinster, given the last season that they had, how this season has gone, there's huge pressure. They know this, like they're aware of this. But like, that's why it's set up to be such a fascinating game for me this weekend because of the stakes that are involved. It's massive. Like, it's massive. Like, I can't think of a European Cup game where there's been this much narrative coming into it, where there's been this much pressure on one of the sides. It's, and like, I'm not telling anything that nobody in Leinster doesn't know here. Like, I'm not trying to shit house. Oh, pressure's on Leinster. Like, the pressure is on Leinster. They know this. Like, they're well aware of it. It's, that's why it's so fascinating. This, this final, there's just so much, so many narratives, so many things weaving into it. Um, and it's like, it's do or die for Leinster in this game. I suppose they, they probably like it that way. And like, it's, it's going to be a fascinating battle. I think when it comes to the styles, La Rochelle do, like Munster, they do like to hold on to the ball. They are a possession team. They also have that sort of very fast blitz line speed that can cause Leinster's attack problems. And I think, unlike a lot of teams, they still have the size within the pack that can cause Leinster problems at collision. And maybe the other one that makes stands them apart, they can add to all that by having the likes of um, Badia and Aldred and those who actually are good at the breakdown in terms of the jacket as well. That's a bad matchup at times for Leinster. And when I look at this, I don't look at the season and see how Leinster are playing because I think it's hard to, to factor in form when Leinster are rotating their team as much, when they're playing against teams that rotate against them. Um, it's harder to judge it. I think 
when you look at the two squads, because it's it's a replay of last year's Champions Cup final, and it's not often you get to see that, you know, in successive seasons. I think there's there's a couple of things that that come into it. Number one is I think Leinster have more experience with certain players. I don't think it's necessarily changed. The only, there's there's two big changes that come into it for me. One is you have um, Jenkins, whether now whether he'll start or whether he'll be on the bench, I don't know. And you also have uh, Charles uh, Natai, who is there as potentially on the bench. And I think they're they're two big additions that Leinster have brought in specifically with this type of game in mind. I think you also have you look at where the likes of Dan Sheehan has come on from from this time twelve months ago. Like he's a he's really stepped up. And there are others there like Joe McCarthy and others who are involved who have really matured and developed onwards. Ryan Baird would be another one who wasn't there last year but has has the chance. But you look at where La Rochelle have gone, and I think the big difference between this year and last year is that halfback. Because last year you had Sexton and um, Gibson Park for um, Leinster. Yep. And then you had um, West and I can't remember who their scrum half was. It, it, it was uh, Kurt Barlow. Kurt, Kurt he was injured Kurt for that game. Yeah. 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 Now you have um who's it Hasdoy who's turned out to be very good for um for La Rochelle and you've got Kerr Barlow back. And I think once you look at the two sides from that and how that will develop, I think that does give an edge to La Rochelle and how they'll manage the game, how they'll run it, and what they how they'll control that. Um and the other one then of course is the one that we love to talk about, Will Skelton. He just seems to be absolute kryptonite to Leinster. Um and whether Leinster can bring someone like Jason Jenkins in to deal with that, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure he he's the type of player that can get in there and match Skelton physically. I like Jenkins, but I'd be very surprised to see him start this game. I would be shocked to see him start. Now, maybe they will. Maybe they want to try and match him up there in that middle. Like that battle of the big six in the middle is going to be colossal. Those pods off nine off 10 going to be a fucking war zone early on Will Skelton helps La Rochelle play on ball in big games they like to retain the ball in big games they don't like, like I think they kicked seven times against Exeter in the in the semi-final seven times like that's ridiculously low in the modern game they want to hold on to the ball they want to beat you up in possession when you kick the ball to them they like to run it back and play post-transition phases and they'll keep doing that. And like they have guys, like they, they have a really heavy front five. They have a, a like dominant ball carriers in their back row. They have a punchy midfield. Like on the one hand, I think that La Rochelle are a really bad matchup for Leinster because the teams who beat Leinster typically dominate possession. And La Rochelle are really good at that. I but think at the same La time, defensive speed, their defensive line speed, I think is going to put Ross Byrne, like, pressure. it puts big pressure on Ross Byrne as a playmaker. Like I think that they'll like off the set piece, off the lineout, Ross Byrne will run the schemes the exact same as Johnny Sexton. They'll be the exact same. It's in phase play where I think that La Rochelle will look to try and bring Leinster. They'll look to try and bring Leinster to that stage where if you can resist them off the lineout or the scrum launch, get him into those phases afterwards and see if you can start pressurizing Ross Byrne then and put him under pressure directly. 
that will be a massive challenge. Toulouse were not able to do it because I think they weren't able to get near Leinster at the lineout. So Leinster were able to run strikes all day long. That's going to be the challenge. Can La Rochelle reduce the number of lineouts Leinster have in the same way that Munster did? And if they can, how will Ross Byrne react? How will his playmaking adapt to that physical pressure that's going to come his way from Bahia, Jonathan Dante, uh, Gregory Aldris, Skelton? Like, this is set up to be, there's so many matchups everywhere that are just fascinating. I think for Leinster within that scheme, I think Ross Byrne is very good in terms of his decision-making and his ability to stick there. And I think he, he'll run the pods, but it's whether with uh, La Rochelle's line speed, they can get players to either take out the pod in front of Ross Byrne or whether they can get defenders into the passing lanes to stop him. Because what you do there is you force Ross Byrne to become the ball carrier. You force him to run that loop run around and he does not have the pace he does not have the ability with ball in hand that someone like Sexton or even some of the their other options at 10 have. And I think that's where it'll, it'll, it may hurt Leinster. If you force Ross Byrne to be the ball carrier rather than the passer and distributor, you can force things to happen. And I think Leinster have to avoid that. They have to, they have to be able to get to the edge, get beyond that and make sure that Ross Byrne isn't the ball carrier. He can be the decision maker and the distributor. But if, if you force him to become the runner, that's where Leinster will get into big trouble. I think Leinster will look to try and keep James Lowe on the inside shoulder of Ross Byrne almost on every other play they do just to add that inside threat. Because if that's not there, um, I think La Rochelle will just squeeze those outside pods and squeeze the pass, make it very difficult for uh, Byrne to even hit his targets. Um, that aspect of the game is going to be so important. Like it's just um, like the battle between giving Leinster lineouts and keeping the ball in field, managing your cardio, managing the 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 load on your super heavyweight players. Like La Rochelle have two or three, um, and then what can Leinster do? Leinster's like their their main approach to games is to kick to get the return back in a in a in, a, in an advantageous position. La Rochelle kind of turned that on its head last season. Um, can they do it again here? Will Insta adapt their way of playing? Can they? This, these are all massive questions coming into it. Like, are we going for predictions? Yeah, go on. We'll, yeah. we'll go with predictions then. Did I skip ahead? Sorry, I didn't read the script. No, 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 no. Oh. When you, who, no, who do you reckon? No, I'm always first. No. Okay. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll start off then. Bookies have Leinster seven-point favourites for this, which I think is a, I think it's generous. a huge. Ooh, I think that's, that's very, that's, that's very big. wide. Um, I think Leinster have the players to come back into this that can cause La Rochelle problems if they're allowed play the way they want to. I think, as, as Tom outlined there, if they can get the the kick transition right if they can if they're allowed to launch their strike plays from the from the lineouts and the scrums they'll they'll cause a lot of problems for La Rochelle but at the same time as we've talked about I think La Rochelle are a bad matchup for Leinster um because it's, it's weird I'm like, gonna go to lose beat La Rochelle almost every time 
Leinster have beaten Toulouse almost every time. <laughs> and La Rochelle have beaten Leinster almost every time. It's like those three teams have been dancing around each other for the last two or three seasons. And they're all a bad matchup for each other. It's weird how it works. I'm going to go La Rochelle by three. I'll, I am also going for La Rochelle. And I was talking about it in work today. I don't know what it is. I just think size, power, that defensive speed against the playmaker, etc. I think it just counts against them. So I, like, I, I'm just going for La Rochelle win. Well, I'm kind of caught between a ten hate, point hating, and, Lens- hate, hating Lens- 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 intensely, <laughs> intensely, and thinking that with. Like Leinster will want a high ball and playtime, right? They they will for this game. The usual way that they do that is by kicking to the opposition and allowing them to punch themselves out. France did it. Toulouse did it. Um, I think in this game, because La Rochelle are such a powerful possession team, I think Leinster's main way of playing comes with a big risk in that they kick the ball to La Rochelle, they don't get it back, and they endure a whole lot of massive phases defending Skelton, Aldris, Bugris, you know, the Jonathan Dante, Botia for multiple phases. Um and then maybe conceding a fucking penalty for not rolling away or some other, you know, the kind of thing that happens when you're under pressure physically. Um, I think the scrum matchup is something that La Rochelle will feel they'll have an advantage in. Now, whether that'll work with Jacko Paper or not, who knows? I mean, typically Paper tends to reward the scrum going forward. La Rochelle should have an advantage there. But again, look, who knows in this game? Sometimes that, that doesn't translate. I think it's a massive challenge for Ross Byrne. He came through it with flying colors against Toulouse. I think La Rochelle, because they're a worse matchup for um, for Leinster than Toulouse are at the moment. I think that makes it more complex for him. I'm going to go with a narrow La Rochelle win. But again, I, I just think it, if, if Leinster get the breaks, if there's indiscipline from La Rochelle, Leinster can do the same thing they did to Toulouse in those circumstances. Discipline is going to play a huge part. But I think with Jack O'Paper refereeing the game the way he does, whoever's in possession will be the one who will dictate the tempo and as a result any discipline flashpoints will come on the defensive side of the ball so I don't know what Leinster's plan will be but um, I think it's set up to be a fascinating game between two teams who play very different ways I'm going to go with a narrow La Rochelle win but very very narrow Excellent. I, I've got the courier coming tomorrow with the uh, three La Rochelle jerseys. So oh, good, 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 actually. John, I might, I, I'll, I'll swing by, actually. I'll pick those up. Are we still going to the game? Yeah. Okay. We're, we're part of the buses that are coming up. From oh, Park and Limerick. perfect, perfect. Yeah, brilliant. Just the three of us and uh, James Cronin, is it? Just on James yeah. Cronin, yeah. James Cronin's friends yeah. and family. Could and, just take um, a car. No, if it's just the four of and us. Ronan O'Gara's friends and family and um, Donna Cronin's yeah. friends and family as well. Because, um, yeah. 
and uh, of course Sean Dougal Sean Dougal's Sean Dougal's friends and family as well yeah, yeah. they're coming on all separate buses so yeah. one of us each per bus and Austin Delan don't forget Austin Delan's friends and family as well coming up from Chile the friends, the, the friends and family one car. One, more. Yeah. <laughs> one, one car one car will do it yeah, yeah, yeah. friends and family in the bus. Oh, and because Jack Crowley was asked to, to sign for La Rochelle a couple of years ago his friends and family are also going to <laughs> we're going to go yes. as many friends and family on there in the bus as we can possibly can that sounds like two buses. There's two, no, there's maybe four or five, more, maybe four or five hundred buses. But look, it's it's going to be fun. It's going it's to be friends and family. Just a few it's friends and family. It's all just a few friends and family. It's all good. Right, folks, we'll round it up there. Thank you very much for listening to our ramblings and for supporting the podcast. Please do rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you listen as it really helps. And also be sure to share the podcast on social media. Hope you have a good week and the three of us will be back next week to chat again. Yeah.